Hey guys, just wanted to pop in and let you know the Unpopular Culture team has expanded to add a roster of super dope editorial photographers. Starting today, we are offering sliding scale photography services for creatives of color based in New York, Chicago, and LA. Visit unpopculture.co backslash book to book your session. Welcome to Day One Fans, brought to you by Listening Party and recorded at Canal Street Radio. I'm your host, Lachelle Chrisan. And today we are talking with filmmaker slash co-founder of Break Tide, um, Jelena Keen-Lee. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So the conversation today is going to be about how to make a sustainable business out of your passion, which is something that every creative wants to do. And she's been able to do that successfully. Um, But first, let's get into Currently Obsessed. Uh, What are your selections? I realize now that none of my currently obsessed are documentaries. No, that's fine. It can be whatever you want. I am super obsessed with Killing Eve and it's coming back soon. I need soon. to get into that. So good. I like, struggled through the first episode, but I don't know if it's because like my attention span was just like... Maybe. But like as it goes on, it's just like better and better. Okay. And I can't wait to see what they do with this next season. Yeah. I'm a big Phoebe Waller-Bridge Me too. Fan. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I heard her being interviewed and they were like, how would you describe the show in four words? And she she was like, hmm, hair, 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 murder. <laughs> <laughs> She's like the wittiest person. Yeah. I love that she is very much, um, like, all of her projects are very different. So different. And, like, the fact that she's also what I guess in the industry it's called like a multi-hyphenate creator yeah. or you know like writer actress right. like doing all these different things I really right. like that too I think she's one of my favorite white creators yeah same she I'm surprised that she's allowed the show to go on so long because she kind of has a habit of like doing two seasons of a show and being like okay I've said all I needed to say yeah, yeah but I'm glad because I want to hear a lot more from that show yeah okay I'm gonna have <laughs> so to yeah so it was it. that show and then um Megan the Stallion and mm-hmm. Tierra Whack. I feel like I just listening to so much. Yeah, I feel like I re- I need those like good like girl rap songs to get right. me through the winter particularly. Yeah. yeah, and I remember like um, Megan had on her Instagram the other day um, a bag getting bigger, ass getting thicker. Yeah, and I was like, wow, <laughs> a mood, a mood. <laughs> I was like, mm, something I will meditate on this winter. <laughs> That's so funny. I actually was just listening to Tierra Whack, Hungry Hippo on repeat. I love Hungry Hippo. Also, Only Child, I also really yeah. love. She, she was so genius with that project because literally each song is so short that you have to listen to it on repeat and then you want to anyway because you're just like, oh, yeah. this is kind of a vibe. I saw Megan um, a couple months ago at Day in Vegas. She is really fun live. Like, she brings everyone up on stage and, like, has oh an ass-shaking competition. And, like, if you don't shake your ass, like, hard enough, she's like, all right, I said you got to really throw that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's really fun. Yeah, she seems like she'd be great live because she's just a good performer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She has really good energy. Yeah. And I really want to go to Tierra Whack concert. I don't know if she's touring with Tierra Whack, but like I really hope that she is. I feel like now when I'm thinking about concerts that I want to go to, I have to think about who else would go. Right. And them, I think it would be great. I'm going to Malibu Mitch. Is oh, I like her. At the end of the month. Yeah. Somewhere in, I think, Brooklyn. So I'm going to her concert, nice. which I'm excited about. And then the other thing that I really love is called Color Show. Oh, yeah. Color Studio? Color Studio, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have like a little show too on Mm -hmm. YouTube. And when I'm editing… Wait, they have um, a show on top of like the 
performances in the studio? I think the show is just like the performances in okay. the studio. Yeah, okay. but it's so like visually stunning with yeah. the all one color. Like Tiara looked so good in her like outfit for that. They do a really good job at making sure the backdrop and the outfit like perfectly complement each other but I are know. like still minimal at the same time. I'm like, how does this work? Like, do they choose the color afterwards or do they tell right. you before or what? But the I've always wanted really to know good. like what kind of studio are they? Does it looks like it looks like it might be a soundstage or they might use greens? I, it doesn't look like they're using green screen. Yeah. It looks like they're actually using those real colors somehow. Yeah, I'm not sure how they do that. But it must be, if it is to do, it must be something that you can like switch out the colors easily. Right. Or maybe they have lights that like lights, yeah. on them. Yeah. But I just love that show. And when I have to do a big edit, I always like put on color show to try and get me in the mood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Rico Nasty's Counting Up is oh, also I one love of my her. favorites on there. <laughs> I love I love her rage. She's like she's like rage queen but she also seems like she's a really nice person. Agree. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that's that's like living in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of people actually talking about why she wasn't on the Birds of Prey soundtrack, which would have been perfect for her because oh, yeah. there were so many women rappers. And I was so mad because Sweetie had that spiky hair in one of the videos that Rico Nasty always does. And I'm like, really? Yeah. That made me so angry. But I love Rico Nasty. Me too. Cool. I'm glad there's enough like female rappers that are really popping off for them to be things like that even. Right. Because before it was just like, it, we had like the 90s, which was like major. And then early 2000s, things were just like dwindled. And then we had Nicki Minaj for like 10 years. And it was just Nicki Minaj, really. Yeah. And then I think when Cardi got popular is when more women rappers started to come back into the forefront. Yeah. And even like Missy Elliott, who's obviously... Mm-hmm. been in the game forever right. like the fact that she's getting so much recognition right now I really like I yeah that she had like the Pepsi commercial and she had the video Vanguard she definitely yeah and she's deserves. been on some covers too like yeah. these great like looks on the yeah. covers I was like okay this is the treatment that she needs yeah especially because like her hiatus was largely due to being ill too so like she had, I think she has I think she has Graves disease oh so she said she was sick for a really long time and that's why she wasn't making music. And then she kind of just, you know, in this industry, if you don't like keep doing things, people kind of forget about you. But no one can forget about her because she's so such an innovator. Yeah. Definitely. Anything else you got? No. Nope. Okay. Oh, and then I was telling you when I walked in, I was listening to um, Alicia Garza and Aijin yeah. who have a podcast called Sunstorm. Sunstorm. And yeah. Okay. And it's all about the like... Um, the like glimpses of sun through the rain mm-hmm. and things to make us like hopeful and happy. Okay. And I was listening to their interview with Chani Nichols, who I love. Yeah. Her, um, she's an astrologer and she does horoscopes and um, they're super well written. They always feel like they hit you right where yeah. you need to be hit. Yeah. But also with like a social justice lens and like an equity lens and also with like always the idea of like you're doing what you're meant to be doing. Right. Yeah, which I really appreciate. Are you super into astrology? Not really, like compared <laughs> to others around me particularly. Yeah. Do but you know like your main your main placements? Yeah. Okay. I know my I'm a <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm like a triple fire sign, so Oh wow. Pew pew pew. I'm an Aries Sun, Leo me Rising, too. Sag Moon. <gasps> I'm really? an Aries Sun. Yeah. Uh Capricorn Moon. And Gemini Rising. Ooh, nice. Yeah, see, I don't know enough to, like, know what that really means. But <laughs> I know some basic things about mine and, like, my family members. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a lot of fire. 
Yeah. I, I know someone who is all cancer. Cancer, sun, moon, and rising. I'm like, ooh, you poor thing. <laughs> In their feelings, I'm sure. In their feelings. <laughs> um, okay, well, my currently obsessed. So, you're, are you familiar with Canopy Network? Mm-hmm. Like, so, I like going on Canopy when I'm, like, bored with Netflix because— Oh, my God, I need to get into that. I've been thinking how I need to like, use Canopy more. There's a lot of actually really good films on there. It's because it's more um, like Criterion Collection mm-hmm. or like indie stuff. But I watched this film called Fits and Starts. Oh. Um, I'm trying to remember what the name of the screenwriter is. Uh, I'll figure it out. But it's about this couple. It's like a rom-com about this couple. Um, two non-white people, which is, wow, <laughs> amazing. Um, you mean interracial doesn't mean with white? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, so it's about this couple. They're like this literary New York couple. So the woman, she's like an Asian um, novelist. And her husband is a black, also novelist. But he's like really struggling with his career. And she's like thriving, like on New York best time seller list. And it was really Ooh. interesting to watch— um, not just a rom-com with like two people of color, but a rom-com about two people of color that were creatives in a relationship and like how those dynamics play out. Um, and it actually was just really funny. Um, I'm trying to think of what, I can't remember the names of the main characters in there, but if you have a chance to check it out, you should Oh, I'm going to watch that immediately. Yeah, <laughs> I loved it. That sounds incredible. I was watching it with my boyfriend. I'm like, oh my gosh, she is me and you are him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, to more blazing. She love was stories. like, she was like trying to like you know inspire him to like do better, and he's just like, I don't understand why I got to play the game like that. Like it's oh, yes, very relatable who content. Hasn't been in a relationship like that, very relatable <laughs> content. Um, and then I really liked the screenwriter's work, and so I watched this other movie that she wrote that was also I don't think it was on Canopy, but it's called My Name Is Doris with Sally Field. <laughs> And um, did you ever watch New Girl? Mm-hmm. You know Schmidt? Mm-hmm. So it's Sally Field and Schmidt. So Sally Field plays oh, wow. this like do? dorky, like old woman who like has a crush on Schmidt, who's the art director at her office. And she's like trying to like win, <laughs> win him over. Um, it was really funny. But I, I got to find the name of that screenwriter because I really liked her style. I'm that type of person. If I like a film, I want to see like who wrote it so I can watch whatever else they wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, for music, there's this brand called Smoke Break. They are like a digital platform that basically normalizes the conversation of women who use cannabis And they curate playlists every month. So they have, like, different women who come in and, like, curate playlists. Um, They actually have, like, a Spotify. And I curated one for them, like, a month ago. But I love going on there because it's a really great way to discover new music because it's all different women. What? This is all, like, changing my life. Yeah. So, and they also have a really cool newsletter that's, like, all, like, informational stuff about using cannabis. Like, how to use cannabis for anxiety or, like, how to deal with fuckboy dealers. Ooh, or, yeah, I won't leave your house. Right. So, um, yeah, I've been, like, diving into a lot of their playlists on Spotify. I really like them. I'll put the link in the description for them. And then, um, other than that, um, I've been listening to Paul Cherry. Have you heard of him? Mm-mm. He's, like... Uh, 
maybe like garage, like a lo-fi garage rock meets like kind of dream pop-ish. I don't know how to describe it, but uh, he's a really good person to listen to when you just need to like chill. <laughs> I've been trying to find more artists like that who have like music where you can just play them on shuffle, like mm. while you're working on, on something like. Like Megan is like who I listen to when I'm trying to like go to spin class and like yeah. you know get, get out of the up. house. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> like Paul Cherry is like okay, like let me just like drink some tea and like wind down for the night. Oh, I love that. Um. So yeah, that's what I've been listening to. Um. Trying to think if there's anything. Have you seen else. Parasite? Yes. Yeah, I know. I'm like the last late. Really late? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I saw it over Christmas break, I think. Yeah. It was just so good. Right? It was so good. And I left and I was like, am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I left and I was like, fuck capitalism. Like, <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. I so they might do they said they might do a prequel to it. Ooh, yeah. I would love I just want more from him in general. Like yeah. I really liked Okja as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that. I think I it's haven't. on Netflix. I heard of it though. Okay. Yeah. That's the one with like the, 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 yes. the animal <laughs> thing. Yes. And it's like vegan propaganda. But okay. you know, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the movies with a message. And I don't know. It just made me think how refreshing it is to see an anti-capitalist film. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like normally we just see things that glam like that glorify capitalism right and not just in movies but like so much on social media yeah so much even in the discourse around activism it's yeah. like what celebrity do you have supporting your cause what you know whatever kind of name but that name always comes with money right yeah and I feel like it's made me look at other media more critically too yeah yeah no I thought it was amazing it was like definitely one of those movies that takes you on a bunch of different turns you're like yeah whoa wait <laughs> Hold on. What a sec. Wait, wait. What? What? Like, that's kind of like what my whole reaction was watching the whole thing. Like, Me too. The and the happening? acting was so good that it the whole so time good. I was like, whoa, this is real. I love the cinematography. Um, the house they used was like stunning. And like, just even like the street scenes and walk, walking up all the stairs. And I don't know. I thought it was yeah. well deserving of everything. Right? They, didn't win, they need all the awards. If they yeah. don't get the Oscar, like, ugh. <laughs> I saw this we can't thing hold on our Instagram. breaths. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. Otherwise, we'd be long dead. Right. <laughs> I saw this thing on Instagram, and it was like I don't even remember the names of the other nominees, honestly. But it was like um, other nominees, and then it was like white man does this, like seriously, white man this, I'm in this, and then it was just parasite, parasite. Yeah. <laughs> it's like every year they have like that one film that someone not white did. Um, but I ho- I think it I think it will. Like I have faith that it will win. I feel like if if Moonlight can win. I feel like Parasite can definitely win. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll see. They've got yeah. some new people in the Academy. Like, who knows? Do they have new people in the Academy? <laughs> Apparently, they've been bringing in new people the past few years. Like, okay. a bunch of people. They're trying to do damage control. Yeah. But I I would assume that the voters also contribute to who's nominated. So, right. it's not looking great. But <laughs> Yeah. Well, do they have, have they gotten new people, like, in the past year or in the past yes. couple of years? Okay. In the past, both. Okay. I think they're like sh- trying to shuffle in like more new people, but I don't Green think they Book? shuffle out people is the problem. Green Book, <sighs> yeah, I that's never a fiasco. That. I didn't. I refuse. But it's just, it just shows how um, disconnected they are from the culture of filmmaking because Green Book is literally driving Miss Daisy opposite. <laughs> yeah, I feel like so many things show that. Yeah, and. 
I guess in my field, even though I don't interact with a lot of like um, white guy creators who would be saying this to me directly, but right. there's like a general feeling of like all these fellowships are going to you people. Like right. all these opportunities are going to you people. Like it's a hard time to be a white man in Hollywood or oh a white God. man in the film industry. Yeah. And to me, that's just so absurd. Like look at Apple Plus's lineup and tell me that. Right. Like, look at the Oscars. Look at all these things. And y'all are having no problem getting your projects funded. Right. <laughs> It's crazy so. because so one of my friends who works in the film industry as a DP, she told me that there are men in Hollywood who are starting to transition into from male to female because they feel like women no. are. Yes. And I'm like, no, are you serious? No, no. And she was like, no, I'm serious. And she was like, just wait a couple months. You're going to like hear some stuff. And I'm like, what? That can't be real. Wait, also male DPs would do that? Not DPs. Like, <laughs> okay, I was like, like directors. She's a DP, that. but she's just saying like <laughs> directors are like starting to like do weird shit like that where they're like trying to like find a way to like other themselves. Yeah. Oh, man. So we live in a crazy world. Um, so, okay, I'll add the link to our show playlist in the description with some of both of our selections. Um, and you guys can email any of your suggestions, questions, whatever, to dayonepot at gmail. Um, so, yeah, let's get into the topic since we already kind of are in that realm now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, talk to me about, you know, what you do. Obviously, you're a filmmaker and like how you got into the space. So I'm a filmmaker. Um, both my parents were actors actually growing oh, wow. up. So I've been vaguely in this space for a long time. Like when I was younger, I did more things in front of the camera. Like I would do theater productions with them. I also did like little like modeling, acting, more like commercial jobs. And it was something that, I mean, it's my first love. I love acting. I love performing. And I was considering pursuing it more extremely like in high school mm -hmm. around high school time and these parts that I was being offered or that were that I would even be auditioning for were just awful yeah <laughs> I don't know how else to say it very sexualized I've also looked pretty similar since I was like 11 or 12 so I'd be like 12 or 13 going out for these older roles like seducing people all this kind of stuff and it just, like, wasn't ideal. Right. Yeah. And then in high school, I was the host of this, like, environmental TV show, mm -hmm. um, which was kind of, like, a random opportunity. Like, my mom found it on Craigslist or something, but it ended up working out. And so that was a great way to be, like, on camera, but also a bit more of the— a bit more of the, like, other skills that I have, like, interviews, you know, having to think yeah. quickly, having to, like, relate to other people, that kind of stuff. I feel like it played into some of those skills um, in a good way. And it also made me more interested in the behind-the-scenes aspect because it was a really small team that worked on it. And they would be doing research. They would ask me, like, oh, um, who do you think would be good to feature on this? So I would pitch things. So that was kind of, like, my entry into the, the process of like pitching and what does it take? I didn't really have any exposure to post-production at that time. Right. But that was kind of like a first taste of what it could mean. And um, it was on like TV, but kind of random stations. I grew up without a TV in my house, so it didn't really impact me oh, that wow. much. But my, some of my like family members, like my auntie who lives um, like in the middle of California, she'd be like, oh yeah, I saw you the other day or something like that. Oh, wow. So that was cool. Um, and I got to meet a lot of really great people. And then when I was going into college, I considered, like, wanting to go to NYU and do mm -hmm. theater, this kind of, in, like, pipe dream for my financial situation. But um, I had this college counselor who was basically like, why would you want to do this if you're smart? 
What? I know. What does that mean? And I was like, huh, what does that mean? There's a and lot of very smart people who work in theater. Of course. And who are actors and all these kind of things. But it was just like a representation of this general idea mm-hmm. of like, if you're smart, like you should do something different or do something like You should do something better. more academic. Exactly. Yeah. And also like as a low-income person, um, I was in that category of like low-income students of color that yeah. are really sold this like um, elite like college idea and this like more academic like way of doing things. Because you're supposed to like put your family in a better position. Exactly. And because you're supposed to feel grateful for being invited. And that's something that's come up a lot throughout my career that I can talk about more later too. Yeah. But so I ended up going to this women's college, Wellesley. It's outside Mm -hmm. of Boston. And at first I was like, all right, I'm going to do like political science. I'm going to do international relations. I'll be like a diplomat, I guess, because that's what I'm supposed to do. Right. Um, And then it wasn't that fulfilling. And I was taking econ. I was like, I just really can't with this. Yeah. So I took my first film class. Okay. And I was like, oh my God, like this is so incredible. Like I didn't realize I could study these things that I've always been interested in, like watching films, like talking about what they mean, like the Mm -hmm. broader implications, talking about like how we consume media, what that means, like surveillance, all these different things. So I really found my love for film in the more behind the scenes sense in college. And I made my first documentary, which is called The Construct, Female Laborers and the Fight for Equality, um, about uh, female construction workers in Myanmar when I was still in college through a fellowship that I had. Oh, wow. Um, through the school. Yeah. So it was a really interesting. And actually, I ended up studying political science and film. And I really liked how the two, even though the departments were very separated, yeah. it was nice for me at least to experience how the two intersect. Right. And how like this idea of form and content can like really work together. Form um, and content. Those two, <laughs> right? You hear those two <laughs> words together all the time. And I feel like that's something that's like carried through to mm-hmm. my work. And then um, a few years after college, I started Break Tide Productions with my two co-founders. And Break Tide is an all-woman of color video production company that aims to democratize media and uplift underrepresented voices both behind the scenes and in front of the camera right um so dialing it back just a little bit did you always want to do documentary because I know you've done narrative stuff like Mm -hmm. how did how did you kind of make that transition from starting your first film being more of like documentary style and then to going into more like narrative creative type of work so I think I'm interested in both or all. Um, and that's the one thing with Break Tide as well. Like we're working on a few documentary projects right now, but we're interested in expanding that and um, doing narrative projects, episodic, like all all different kinds of things. I think for me, documentary is a great way to expand my worldview personally and also like shape my voice as a creator. Yeah. And so that's why I've kind of chosen that for like my first projects particularly. Right. Um, and then also my first project that when I was still in college, it was born from this like frustration because uh, I did this fellowship that was about international diplomacy. Mm-hmm. And I just saw how lacking media it was, how lacking of media it was. There would be like maybe one picture that presenters would use from the top of their fields from all different sectors, like talking about global issues. But we weren't really hearing any stories from the people themselves that we were talking about. Yeah. Um, so to me, that's one thing that documentary is really, really helpful for and can yeah. be really great, great for. Like, even if you can't be there physically, your story can still be there from your mouth and like from the way you would say it. Right. Of course, it's more complicated than that with editing and the whole crafting of the story and everything. But that's one thing that I love about documentary. I'm working on a project right now, which is about um, Native Hawaiian mother-daughter activists that are standing to protect their sacred mountain, Mauna Kea, from the building of the world's largest telescope. Mm-hmm. And it's called Standing Above the Clouds. And um, it You're premiered. really good at titles. Oh, thank you. 
<laughs> that one my mom came up with. I was like, ooh, mom, good one. <laughs> um, it premiered in Hawaii, and it was such a great premiere. It's a short, and then we're also adapting it into a feature because um, the conflict is ongoing. But it's been so interesting seeing it received in Hawaii and then showing it to my friends in New York, or we had like a little like work in progress screening in New York. And, you know, with the hometown audience, like everyone knows, like all the people that are in the film, like, right. everything that's going on. And then when I bring it here, even though these are worlds that I both interact with and they feel very like, not similar, but to me, they both feel like, oh yeah, this is New York. Like this is this place, this is this place. But like most people had no idea about the conflict, about what was going on, of course. about the building of the telescope. Yeah. And so that was one moment where I was like, okay, like this is how I see like my allyship or whatever word you want to use for it is like doing the work, investing the time to tell these stories and work with the people that are in them to, right. to make sure it feels authentic to them. Right. And then bringing it to other places and making yeah. sure that that can be spread to a wider audience. Yeah. So with Break Tide, you, it's you and two other women of color who, and you, it seems like you guys all have like different things that you kind of bring to the table. So how did you guys meet each other? And how did you guys kind of formulate this idea? Even the name, like how did you guys come up with the name for the production company? Yeah, so my two co-founders are Rhea Puri and Alex J. Bledsoe. And how did we come together? After, um, so we were all kind of at this stage in our freelance careers where, which I feel like every freelancer feels this way, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's all these opportunities, but it feels very chaotic. And like, you know, there's all these fellowships, but you don't really know like which are the right ones to actually invest time into applying right. to. Like, it was just a bit, like things weren't as organized as we felt they could be. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is ongoing in freelance life. Right. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I think all of us wanted a better structure to be doing this work. And I think for me, one of the things about freelancing is um, constantly having to set your rate and say yeah. how much you're worth monetarily. Mm -hmm. And I think like particularly as women of color, one, we're raised to not think that our work has monetary value. Yeah. And then also to think that, oh, if I ask for this much, like, they'll think X, Y, Z of me. Exactly. So yeah. there's, like, a lot of fears around it that take a while to deconstruct, I think, or to even recognize that they're there. Yeah. Because even if it's, I mean, it's not like it's something direct that anyone told us, but it's just we've learned it through so many We're the least likely to, like, negotiate our, our rates. Yeah. I read that recently, too, mm -hmm. and that was really upsetting to me. Yeah. One of the best things about Break Tide is that we talk so openly about money, about setting rates, about like raising rates. And, you know, I heard about the studies about how women are better at um, talking up a friend than talking up themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think one of our core principles is this idea of collectivization and how, you know, it might be hard for you to ask for like $5,000 for whatever it is that you're doing. But if your partner is saying, no, you need that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, then it can be easier. <laughs> no, that is a word because my best friend, she doesn't work in um, creative space, but like I will be trying to figure out my rate and I'm like, what do you think? Should I? She's like, girl, you are underselling yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's like set your rate and then add taxes. Yes. <laughs> yes, add a 20% um, oh, tax rate. becomes like later and later in February. I'm like, yeah. yikes, I got to get on that eventually. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Adulting. I know, yeah. it's hard, but that's how it's kind of feeling. And then when we came together, like this idea of professional professionalism and you know all these kind of things that we were struggling with as women of color in this industry became so much easier once we were just a united front right and I think we all kind of like realized that we needed that um Rhea I actually went to high school with and Alex I met at this POC networking event um and we all met in the bay oh nice which is where I'm from also nice 
And it just worked really well. I think from working on previous projects, I had identified that what I need in a business partner is someone who can do their own thing. Kind of like what you're saying. Like, yeah. who can do their own thing, who brings their own stuff to the table, who has their own projects that they're working on. And both Rhea and Alex are working on incredible projects. They can all, like, shoot, edit, produce, like, do all these different things. So I think that's why we work really well together because we all kind of bring multiple different aspects right. but then can work together too. That's key. I think a lot of people struggle to know what type of people are to collaborate with. It's really there's so many creative people and everyone's always like let's work, let's work, let's work, let's work, but at the end of the day like you have to be super cognizant of what your needs are as a creative mm-hmm. and what what you are lacking. Like you want to make sure you're collaborating with someone you can offer something and they can offer you something. Like it's kind of like a reciprocal thing. Yes. Yeah. Understanding your weaknesses or not like your challenges, I guess. Right. Is I think one of the most important things. But also like when people ask me for advice about finding collaborators and stuff like that, I always say that it's important to just try out working with people in general yeah. in like low stakes projects. Low, you know? yes, yes. <laughs> because that's the only way you can learn what you like and what you don't like. Right. Like otherwise there's, like you can't just reflect on it. You have to put it into practice. Yeah. And learn when it's on set. And so one of the other like core things about Break Tide is that we just really love each other. Right. And so when we run sets together, everyone on the set can feel that. Mm-hmm. And it's really silly that that's unusual in the film industry, especially considering we're making movies like Ultimately, the stakes are not that, that high. Like, hopefully it'll be producing something great. But I think anyone that's been on a set knows how horrifyingly stressful it can be, how much abuse there can be. Not only, like, the things that we hear about a lot, like sexual abuse, but also just people being very rude and, like, yelling at you. like. Just like not on top being of working friendly. like crazy hours. Exactly. And yeah. you put that on like a 12 hour day. Right. And then, you know, it's really not cute. Right. So, one thing that we try to do is make sure that all our crew feels a lot of love and knows that they can come to us if they have any issues, any problems, and stuff like that. So, we're trying to bring that more to our personal passion projects in this coming year as we get more funding to kind of grow the teams on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the past year, we had some big projects. We did Nike's Black History Month campaign. And that was like the biggest set that we've worked with to date of about 30, 35 people, I think. Okay. Um, And almost everyone, it was their first time being on a set run by women of color. That was all people of color. Nice. Um, And so it's really, it's an honor to be able to create those spaces. So we're hoping to do more of that this year and beyond. Nice. So are they both still in the West Coast and you're in the East Coast? Or are you guys all... So we're, all of our location is kind of uh, scattered, <laughs> scattered, nomadic. Um, Rhea is based in the Bay and she's a fellow, uh, she's a resident at SF Filmhouse. Okay. And then Alex is loosely based in like London, Paris, but very nomadic. Oh, wow. So you guys are like international. Yes. <laughs> and cool. we, we operate at like a collective. So we have our own projects that we're working on and then come together for different projects. Right. And so it's all just based on what comes up. Yeah. yeah. What I love about Break Tide is that you guys are able to do commercial work to fund things that you're more passionate about. So how did you go about getting like your first major clients like a Nike or whatever? Because we actually get a lot of people like we have a Facebook group, shameless plug. Um, (laughs) If you guys want to join for some gigs, opportunities, whatever. And there's people who are like who are in similar spaces have similar skill sets but they're really struggling to find ways to like really sustain themselves as filmmakers because like you can't just do videography like that's just not you can but in terms of like actually like being able to do your work full time I think it commercial work does pay a lot more 
So, yeah. So the first thing is just acknowledging that this industry was not set up for us to be able to sustain ourselves. Yeah. So all of those struggles, that's how it was designed to be. You know, like that's one thing that's really frustrating. And it's not only this industry, but it is pretty extreme compared to others. Yeah. Uh, This idea of, oh, you want to do a project? Where's your money for it? Mm -hmm. Like ask your family for the money. That's pretty much exclusively the advice that I got when I was first trying to figure out. Because that's how a lot of these white male uh, filmmakers are. And even even non-white male filmmakers that are working on projects in New York, a lot of time you'll ask them, like passion projects that have budgets of 10K, 20K, you'll ask them like, oh, where is this funding from? And it's it's very commonly from their parents. Wow. Yeah. Um, so (laughs) that is obviously a challenge, but it's something that we're trying to shift. I think a lot of times, like particularly in the documentary space, people don't really like see commercial work as like selling out or they don't look upon it that kindly. Yeah. But for us, like this is our means to survive. Right. And I think because our branding is really clear, like we're all women of color, like we stand for certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, we've been able to work with people that are very mission aligned yeah. and our clients have so far pretty much come to us through um, word of mouth and other networking. I think, um, I think it was Issa Rae who said in the interview like a few years ago that everyone is so focused on networking up. Yep. It was her. Yes. <laughs> but the actual important thing to do is like network around. Lateral. Network, yes, yes. Like yep. horizontal networking, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you could see that at any panel at anything like everyone goes up to the speaker and there's probably such incredible people in the room that you don't even know yeah so I think that's um, what's helped us a lot and then also doing all these different fellowships these other kind of projects and also we had a pretty substantial reel um, from all of our previous work yeah so I think one thing that can be really helpful is just like producing some projects and that's where it's really hard because you want to get paid for your work but when you're just starting out you need some stuff to show what you're capable of. Yeah. So whether that's like making your friend's music video or like, I don't know, whatever sort of organization you want to work with, working with them just to show what's possible. Right. Yeah. And for me, how we started, how I started my personal freelance and then also how we built it into a company was just like reaching out to the organizations that I had worked with before personally, mostly like places that had given me scholarships mm-hmm. or like, you know, other things like that that already know you and that are like, yeah, you can come do this. Tap into your network. Exactly. Yeah. I think I think a big a big roadblock for a lot of creatives that they have to overcome is that a lot of people have this belief that like a higher up is going to come down and like rescue them or discover them. And really it's like, you really have, like you said, connecting laterally, but also like, I don't think a lot of people realize the power in just like really putting themselves out there within their own personal yes. network. Yes. Because and sharing your work. Like exactly. talk about your work, share about your work, let people know what it is that you're doing. Because a higher up is never gonna come down and get you unless no. you're Beyonce. Yeah. Like higher ups don't actually they're not really in charge of hiring. No. Like it's the people that are our ish age that are working doing the actual work. Like pretty much all politics, all media. All of these things that are like producing culture for us yeah. is run by people in their 20s. Yeah. And then it's people that are older that are taking credit and that are the names that mm-hmm. you see or the people on panels per se. Yeah. But like the people that actually are in charge of like recommending you, bringing you up is very commonly, I feel like people that are, that could easily be like socializing in same spaces as us. Yeah. I think that's why I struggle with panels because, or oh, like, yeah. and then that's a big part of the reason why this brand exists is because we so often like look for inspiration and guidance from people who are on a completely different plane than what we are. And mm-hmm. they don't really have the insight that we need to fully grasp like how to move in, in these spaces. 
Um, so how do you kind of like allocate the amount of time, energy, resources that you guys put into your personal projects versus your commercial work? It's, it seems more like you guys just do your own things with personal stuff and then kind of come together for commercial work or do you guys come together for personal stuff as well? We have worked on each other's personal projects. That's evolving. Okay. And, um, you know, one thing that I really like about how we've set things up is that there's so much room for change and for things to to move and evolve. Yeah. Ideally, we'd like to be the go-to production company when you're making work about women of color that yeah. you want to spark social change. So that would probably not include as much commercial work. Right. We're hoping to be producing things for like Netflix's, HBO's, mm -hmm. or hopefully whatever new platform is out there that is more like catered towards things that we want to see. Right. Um, but to get there, we've figured out how to do this like sustainable filmmaking model with client projects. Um, I was saying this like recently, but it's all, it's, it's not like 20% of my time is this, 20% of my time is this. It's more like, hmm, do I have rent secured for the next yeah. few months? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's real. And with all my friends at Freelance too, it's like those are the kind of financial and creative decisions that have to be taken into account mm -hmm. Like when we're talking about sustainability. Yeah. Like, can you sustain yourself in this city for the next few months? Yes. Then you can probably, then perhaps you can turn down that commercial job and like put your time into your work that needs cultivating. Right. If it's a no, then you better hope they sign the contract. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's um, how we've kind of struck the balance so far. But it can be hard, especially because with both um, client projects and documentary work, things are very rarely on your own timeline. Right. Like it's kind of like when a client wants you, they'll want you. If they don't want to respond for a few months after the shoot, like that can happen, you know. Um, and then with documentary work, like if something is happening, there might not be any notice that it's happening. So... That's something that we are constantly dealing with. But I think that one of the most beautiful and most challenging parts of working for yourself or being freelance is that you have so much flexibility with your time. Mm -hmm. And that can be the greatest thing ever when something comes up last minute and you have yeah. to pick up and go. And then it can be really hard when you have to make hard decisions about what should you be doing, about um, if I say no to this job, will I have another one? Right. Like even if you have those few months secured like yeah. is there going to be another one in the future right so I think um, a lot of it is about trusting yourself and your vision and then also in practical terms like having some sort of nest egg so that you know you'll be okay um, how do you ensure that the brands that you guys are working with are aligned with what you like what kind of back work not back work. What is what is the word? I'm trying yeah, to like say. background research. Background we research. We do we do, do, do research. We've turned down a few projects um, mm -hmm. when we do a lot of research. Again, it comes down to like, do you need the job or do you not need the job? Um, we've done some. We we are starting to have like target companies now that we want to work with, and so mm -hmm. we're going to be more proactive about pitching and seeking out different people that we already know like, that we like a lot. Yeah. But um, again, like I was saying, because we're really clear about who we are, yeah. usually people that come to us are looking for their diversity campaign. They're looking for something around women's health. Um, and so originally we started working with nonprofits, but then we've done like commercial work, like with Nike as well. And as you mentioned, that has like a lot more money attached. So yeah. it can be really great to just have that opportunity to make something on that scale, not just for yourself, but for all the crew that you can bring on to that kind of stuff too. But right. we've also worked with, um, the Thinks, the underwear yep. brand mm -hmm. and, um, Bright Pink, which is a um, women's health nonprofit. So we've worked with a lot of nonprofits too. And it's a gut check. And then also it's a 
we want to have consensus, particularly if something's going to be branded as break tide and we're going to share about it and want to promote it and stuff like that. Right. So we do our research about who is the organization, who are they funded by, what exactly is it that they're trying to do here. And this is before you guys decide to pitch them or before, after they've reached out to you. This would be after they reached out. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. yeah. For the pitching, it's more like, you know, we have our brands that we want to reach out to. Savage right. Fenty. Hello. <laughs> Any of the Fenty label, actually. Yeah. I love, I love, I love, I love everything that she's doing with that. Yeah. And we're also hoping that our work is part of this wave to put more attention on who is behind the camera and who mm-hmm. is actually creating the content. Yeah. And since we run sets, like we know, and honestly, anyone who's on a set knows, like just because the final image is cute or the final video is cute does not mean that the people in it felt comfortable along right. the whole process, like particularly the talent, but also the crew. Yeah. And so that's something that we're really trying to subvert. And to just show that there's no need for, like, any sort of harassment, any sort of, like, ill will on these sets. Like, these things that are supposed to be about diversity, about women, about whatever, like, they should also be produced in a manner that aligns with the final product. Right. So we're also looking for organizations that are committed to that. And I think, again, because, like, we're pretty clear about who we are and what it is we do, a lot of those people are attracted to us. Yeah. The thing that's interesting is that you guys are all women of color, but you guys come from completely different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. How does that kind of intersectionality like inform the work that you guys are making, the, the work that you guys choose to make? Like, is it is it something that has been challenging or rewarding? I think it's been really great um, because when it comes down to it, all of us want to see more content created by all of us, you know? Right. And we're trying to create content that we would want to watch. Yeah. Even though there's so much content out there, I still find myself... I don't think there is. <laughs> like, people say that, but if you took away all of the white content... True, true. There really wouldn't be that much yeah, content. Yeah, there's only... It's like, come on, Insecure Season 4? I know. Well, I don't know what season it is, but... Is it season 4? Yeah, it is that's season coming four. back soon, it is. too. Yep, I think April it comes back. Oh, yeah. yay. But yeah, so we just want to create the kind of content that we would want to watch. And, you know, my partner Ria, she grew up in Kuwait and India. And so she has like a different lens on things. But like I would want to see anything that she creates. And same with my other partner Alex. She's working on this um, feature-length documentary about lead poisoning in Oakland called Oak Lead, which is actually at higher levels than Flint. Oh, wow. Yeah, and very little is being done about it. Yeah, so— there's like so many things that need to be addressed in yeah. our culture right now. So we just want to figure out how to support those projects. And that's also something that we're looking to in this next year, in these coming years of figuring out how we can be a production company in that kind of way of like helping produce other people's projects and helping getting all these stories that need to be told to a wider audience. Right. Cool. Well, you a- answered my like last two questions for you. <laughs> oh. um, okay. So we're going to outro into a segment called DreamWork. Because teamwork, teamwork make the dream work. Um, that's where I got that name. Um, so basically, it's going to be a segment where we'll just talk about other creative mediums and ways that they can make their art a little bit more sustainable. Because this is just such a big question mark for a lot of people, and I think. It helps to have someone who, even if it's not your creative meeting, some medium, someone who is enterprising enough to figure it out. Um, so, yeah, are you ready? Yes. All right. First one, musicians. What are some sustainable ways that you think a musician could 
keep their career afloat. Okay, so I would point to my friend Ray Zargoza. She's a phenomenal musician. Okay. um, Indigenous woman, singer, and she tours all around. And she is always preaching me the Patreon gospel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? Yes. I didn't know musicians use Patreon. Yes, and actually I feel like Patreon is so well-suited for music. Wow. So, like, I think she actually does a class on Patreon or something. So you can look her up and, like, see her different levels and stuff like that. And I know that it does take a lot of work to put all that stuff together. But, I mean— steady income is the goal. Yeah. It's the dream, I think, for everyone. So if you can get like a Patreon as a musician and then build up your fan base that way, I think it's such a good way to just like have a community that uh, that is your fans that are also like giving you money. Even if it's $1 a month, like that's $1 that you know you're going to have next month. Right. So I feel like it's super valuable. And then um, being a musician, I think, lends a lot to the format. So you can... Like, put your unreleased songs up there, or you can, like, some, like, exclusive stuff. Exactly. Like, start a a morning with a song. Like, if people give enough money, you can, like, write them a song based on, like, some keywords or something like that. Um, And you can also, I think, use it as, like, a creative space for things that aren't necessarily finished and ready to be brought out to the world. Because I think that's something that's also really hard for all creators. But I know I definitely feel this a lot, and as do my partners in Break Tide, of you want— to share your work, but then sometimes you just really want it to be perfect. Right. Yeah. Oh, and so, boy. Yes. <laughs> There's that tension of like, yes. oh my God, like, do I, like, is it ready to have my name on it and to represent me? Right. But then, like, if it's fully ready, would that maybe be never? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think um, for musicians, like, Patreon can be a good way to kind of mitigate that because it's like ready for an audience, but not going wide. Right. Yeah. And it's more um, exclusive to people who really, really like love what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about visual artists? Visual artists. Um, there's so many different ways. I think um, a lot of, I've seen a lot of visual artists do really cool collaborations with organizations similar to what Break Tide does, whether it's Planned Parenthood or. Um, one of my friends, Ashley Lukashevsky, she did all these projects in um, LAX, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember who that was funded by. But there's so many different ways that you can kind of, like, bring your work to other spaces. Yeah. And then also, like, cross-collaboration. So many different things need visual artists. Like, albums. Uh, musicians need album covers. Like, filmmakers need all sorts of things. Apparel. You can, yeah. Yeah. You can apparel. apparel. Oh, my God. Yeah. Love. Yeah. Ready. I'm ready for Break Tide's merch line. Oh, are you guys designing it? Or <laughs> we are working else? on it, yeah. Okay. <laughs> nice. So hopefully that will be forthcoming. But yeah, apparel is a great way. There's a lot of different ways, um, I think, that you can do it that don't have to rely fully on, like, the gallery system. Right. Right. Because it's so—it's a system. Like, yeah, yeah, and I think all these systems for artists, the reason that the art world broadly, like, thinking about multidisciplinary of what art can mean, the reason why it's been so homogenous for so long is because all these systems to get you in, to get you to have a claim, like, don't pay you anything. No. So if, whether that's your film is super successful on the film festival circuit, maybe they'll cover your travel, but they're not going to pay you to be there. No. And then that's time that you could otherwise be working or, like, trying to find projects or anything like that. The whole thing really is, like— being self-sufficient is always should be the goal. I don't think mm-hmm. it should be breaking through any type of system because if you're if you're dependent on that, then you're you're basically beholden to whatever shit that they hand you. And even the system of fellowships, mm-hmm. which I know that I'm really grateful. I've been I've like received a few that have been super helpful to me, and I think um, 
I know that a lot of like people of color and broadly minorities who work within the system have worked really hard to create these fellowships. So I am very grateful. But even the fellowship system, like they offer so little funding. And so all of these, all of these different facets are just ways to put like stamps on your work, but you're not necessarily getting compensated. Right. And I think that's something that we need to break out of. Yeah. 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 What about writers? Writers. Ooh. Um, Writing is hard because I feel like it's so often unpaid. I was actually doing a lot of writing in college. And then after the 2016 election, I was like, I'm finished. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, my hot takes are done. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But again, like writers can collaborate with other kind of artists. I feel like everyone needs writing. Um, And then when you're submitting articles, when you're doing stuff like that for different publications, ask them if they're going to pay you. And if they say no, that's fine. And you can decide if it's still worth it for you or not. But you need to ask. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that I try and like communicate to my friends and to like, you know, to anyone is just like, it never hurts to ask. And then you know, like where things stand. Um, From the production side of things, we've worked with different organizations where they had a budget for talent, but because the people didn't ask for money, they just didn't pay them anything. Right. So... I would highly encourage everyone to always at least inquire about um, what can be possible. I know there's a lot of good writing fellowships, too, that can be good options. And then um, if you can write for TV or write other forms of kind of things, that can be great, You can ghostwrite, too. That's always an option. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But how do you get a ghostwriting job? I actually saw someone post for a ghostwriter. Like, I think it's more so, (laughs) like— Like in a Facebook group? Um— no, it was like one of my my mini email chains that I get for like opportunities or whatever. Um, but it it's like more like underground, I guess. But I, I guess the whole gist of this whole segment is that as creative as you are with your art, you have to be creative about ways to like Ooh. make money. Amen. <laughs> and the thing that's tough is no one comes into this field wanting to be creative about making money. No, they just want to be like, okay, I'm talented. I'm talented. Can you please pay me? Yeah. It's like, it doesn't work that way, especially now because I think it's getting harder and harder for artists to make money across all industries. Agreed. Yeah. Especially with streaming, with like online streaming. And even these big places will be offering so little money to buy your work. Mm -hmm. And it can take so long to, I mean, we, we all know like so much can go into that. Yeah. So yeah, it is really hard. But at the same time, they're making so much money off our work. Yeah. So, (laughs) and this system that you're talking about with the email chains, like I'm very familiar with that or the Facebook groups, but I think like as a a POC creative community, if you will, like we need to figure out a better way that we can communicate with each other about like what, what it is that we're working on, what we need help with and all that kind of stuff. We also, we need to like not feel afraid to ask for help too. Oh. Because I think just culturally, a lot of us are very much like, we have the mentality of like, we got to figure this shit out ourselves because that's just what we've had to do for so long. And there's so much pride that comes with that. And like, you have to kind of put that down and be like, okay, I am struggling in this area. Is there anyone who is willing to help? And if there's not, then there's not. But it's better for you to put it out there because you never know what can kind of come your way. Like, I'm really big on, like, manifesting things. Mm, So even if you speak it in existence to someone who can't do shit for you, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be someone down the line that will, you know, provide whatever it is that you 
you need. Yeah. And reach out to people, like DM them, email them. Yeah, don't be afraid. Like, I think that's another thing, especially with like social media. Like, so many people are afraid to like actually really connect with people. They like Mm -hmm. admire from a distance and like like your post, but they don't want to actually like be like, hey, you know, I really love what you do and I'm really interested in like working with you. Like, yeah, it took me a while to realize this, but I finally realized that. No, like any piece of art that's created just by one person, like is not that good. No. Especially when it comes to film or these like extremely collaborative mediums. Yeah. Like you cannot do this all by yourself. Like Never. you need other people to talk about things with, to bounce ideas do. off of, to feel, to understand like how is this hitting someone else? Not just me who knows everything about it, who was there for all this stuff, yep. who's made all these little decisions. Yeah. There's no, there's no medium that is really created by one person. Like writers, you have editors, mm-hmm. you know, like musicians, you have so many cooks in the kitchen. I'm actually writing a screenplay. I've been writing a screenplay for like four months. Ooh. And, um, I'm so, I'm very much like that where I like don't want to share yet because it's like not perfect. But mm-hmm. last night I was talking with a couple of friends at home and like just talking about it like really actually helped me get out of the creative block that I was in. Yeah. Even though like I wasn't talking with people who work in that same medium. It's just more so like, like you said, like giving each other insight and like just opening, open, open the art up. <laughs> yes, I guess like, that really made me think, like, if I was to think of, like, a thesis of this of this podcast or interview, <laughs> it's about it's about courage and about community. Yeah. And, and collaboration, but community and collaboration are hand-in-hand hand to me. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't just mean hiring your friends. That means, like, having brunch with a bunch of people that you love and talking about different ideas and what you're working on. Like, it doesn't always have to be super formal, but it's just about, like— cultivating those communities and feeling okay to ask for, hey, this is what I need. Like, what is it that you need? Right. Because when it comes down to it, like, we're all trying to do this semi-impossible feat. So we all need each other's help yeah. all the time. You can't do it alone. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> thank you for having me. This was lovely. Um, where can the people find you and your work? You can find me on Instagram at jelena.kl um, or at Breaktide and on Twitter at jelena.kl. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. This episode of Day One Fans is presented in partnership with Listening Party. Follow the crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market. You can follow the show's Instagram at Day One Fans and me on socials at Created by L. If you liked what you heard, be sure to rate, like, subscribe, and share. 